Hello race fans and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning in to this episode. In this show we're going to talk all about the 2020 British Touring Car Championship season where, well, we were treated to, well, quite an exciting season indeed, like we always are in British Touring Cars. We're never short of entertainment and of course all of the action is broadcast live on free-to-air television, which is certainly a very big factor indeed, uh, which we'll get on to. But although unfortunately the season didn't get going until the middle of the summer when just as the season was due to begin at the end of March, the global lockdown began to ensue. So it was a long wait for the season to begin and for all the drivers who would have worked all winter to put their programmes together and get prepared for the season, it must have been remarkably uh, frustrating for those and for the teams as well, um, not least for the circuits who uh, were not able to welcome fans to the circuit, which was which was difficult enough. So certainly the the free li- the free to air live TV coverage certainly helped for um, for many reasons indeed. But we had uh, a returning champion this year, um, the twenty seventeen British Touring Car Champion Ash Sutton, uh, winning the championship here in twenty twenty in the relatively new Infinity uh, Q. 50. Now, if you are uh, unfamiliar with the Infinity brand and you're thinking, I've, I've heard of BMW, I've heard of Audi, I've heard of Ford, I've heard of Mercedes, but I've never heard of Infinity. Well, the, really, the Infinity brand, you actually can't buy an Infinity in Europe anymore. The brand has actually been discontinued in Europe. It's effectively a luxury offshoot of the Nissan group, so a little bit like what Lexus is to Toyota, but this is the um, the base for uh, a new car built. It was debuted in the middle of last season, built between a joint partnership between BMR, uh, the Ash Sutton's old team who designed the Subaru Lavorg Estate and ran the Subaru Lavorg Estate, and also um, Aidan Moffat Racing, run by Bob Moffat uh, here in Scotland and sponsored by a company called Laser Tools. And this new Infinity, you know, the shell, the actual outlook of it is like the Infinity Q50, which uh, I'd love to know how many were sold in the UK. Not many, um, but that is the, the basically the bodywork design. But it gave the, the, um, the car is rear wheel drive, and that was the big part, um, was basically to make uh, a BMW 3 Series killer, of course. Last year, um, in 2019, the new BMW 3 Series came out and it was so, so dominant in the hands of Andrew Jordan, Colin Turkington, and also uh, Tom Oliphant as well. So the Infiniti Q50 is very much, a, 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 shall we say, an answer to that. Very similar in its dimensions. Obviously, rear-wheel drive rather than front-wheel drive, so that matches with the B. BMW as well, but interestingly, unlike the BMW, the Infiniti uses the off-the-shelf Toka engine built by Swindon Engineering here in the UK, and I believe was the first car to win the championship using that engine. So all the other uh, previous champions in the new in the current era of British touring cars had developed their own engine, whether that be Honda, BMW, or otherwise. 
And of course, Ash, Ash Sutton coming into the team and making a two-car team alongside Scotsman Aidan Moffat, whose family own the team. It's interesting because um, obviously Ash Sutton brought a lot of the BMR crew with him from his time at Subaru when the Subaru Lavorg was retired. And it's interesting, I've heard a lot of stories about how uh, the car has been developed and how they really worked hard on the differential settings and what have you. And Ash Sutton in particular paying an enormous amount of attention to detail to getting that car to work. Really interesting watching it out on circuit um, how it very it actually really appears to be quite soft. Um, you see it, it's not nowhere near as, as flat uh, in the corners. You'll see it pitching under braking, you'll see it tilting through the corners, but whatever it was that they've done underneath the surface of that car, Ash Sutton was able to, um, to put himself as the fastest man in the championship this year, both on championship points, but also on a number of occasions coming through the field from quite far back. Interestingly, didn't quite switch it on as much in qualifying as you'd maybe think. Only put it on pole once, whereas some of his rivals like Colin Turkington put it on pole twice. Also, Rory Butcher putting it on pole twice and Dan Camish as well. So that um, wasn't necessarily dominant in qualifying, but when it came to the races, this new infinity in the hands of Ash Sutton was very, very impressive indeed. Most impressive of all when uh, the championship came up to Knock Hill, uh, to my local circuit here in Scotland. And I, I was very, very lucky to be invited by um, a, a sponsor uh, of uh, both the Knock Hill circuit and uh, of the motor base team, a guy called Alan Walk, who um, very kindly brought me along um, to, uh, to see the, uh, to see the action, to go into the paddock uh, with the team and although there were no fans there it was an amazing experience to be so close up to um, such a high level motorsport um, and also obviously normally the paddock would be absolutely packed so uh, it was really a special experience but throughout the weekend Ars Sutton was just that little bit of a step ahead of everyone else, put it on pole, his only pole position of the season and then went on to win the first two races um, uh, as well. Um, so very, very impressive weekend um, for Ash. However, it wasn't all plain sailing for Ash Sutton. And of course, this straight out of the gate in the first round of Donington Park, Ash Sutton was clearly quick. But in the very first race, got involved in a pretty big and arguably unnecessary incident and put himself off into uh, off into the gravel um, and that has been very much that very much was the story of the season how he was the one thing that Ashton doesn't shy away from is is a bit of argy bargy that's touring cars that's what it's all about but can be very very aggressive and that is what makes him such a formidable competitor um, sometimes you step over that line but when you are being aggressive it's very easy to do that um, but what fascinated me uh, about Ash Sutton's season was when it came down to it when it came down to the final round at Brands Hatch where we had heavy heavy rain and we know how good Ash Sutton is in the rain you know he I think he probably had every former British touring car champion in in history it on the phone to him in the weeks leading up to that season finale to tell him that he effectively on pace he had it in the back. He clearly had a pace advantage over his competitors, but he couldn't afford to get involved in any silly incidents like he had done a couple of times throughout the season, um, and particularly one of which was at, was at Croft when... 
really went for a move on Jake Hill and parked it on Jake Hill's door uh, and got himself a puncture for his trouble. Um, but there was none of that. It was clean, pristine, beautifully executed driving from our son on the final day of the uh, the championship. And although he came into the final day of the championship, those three races, nine points behind, uh, he actually ended up winning the championship quite comfortably uh, in the end. Now, of course, the ever steady, the ever impressive Colin Turkington chased Ashton all the way to the championship. They both had five wins apiece, more than any other driver in the the championship. And Colin Turkington at the wheel of his uh, West Surrey Racing BMW, he was the ever-present threat. Super and ever-present, always up there in qualifying, always up there in the races. Very, very rarely did we see him you know, fall into into obscurity. Um, he was always there, thereabouts. And the one thing you can say about Colin is, is that Colin is so squeaky clean when it comes to wheel-to-wheel combat. He's so clean, he's so fair, and usually does his winning out front. Um, very rarely do you see him barging his way through uh, un- overly aggressively. That's not Colin Turkington's style. Very much a considered, measured style. But the simple fact of the matter is this, um, you know, this year that he just, when it came down to the crunch, uh, really the the performance um, it, it it deserted him really. Um, the on the final day of the championship, he had a he had a disaster. You watched a lot of the onboard. You really had to feel for him because you watched a lot of the onboards, and his car looked undrivable. Um, apparently, they were really struggling quite heavily with switching on the uh, the front tyres. They just had no front grip at all, which is really not what you want around Brands Hatch Indy circuit. Um, whereas Ash Sutton was, looked very comfortable indeed. He looked absolutely at home, both in car and on the circuit, that they were there, in the circuit conditions uh, as well. So Colin Turkington really suffered from the cold, wet conditions that we saw, which we often do get. Of course, the season finale is usually in October this year. It was early November, but not a great deal of difference. But the, um, you know, it's normally cold and wet. Uh, and we've seen Colin um, triumph. Of course, he's a four-time champion, so um, he knows exactly how to get the job done. But he looked really out of sorts. The car looked very, very tricky indeed. Uh, and for whatever reason, the setup of the car, the tyre, whatever it was, it just left him quite clearly, just left him defenceless, really. And uh, and Ash Sutton in the end, you know, drove, 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 did what he needed to do to drive to the championship. However, when you look through the the results between Ash Sutton and Colin Turkington, you could argue that Colin Turkington was actually more. Um, consistent uh, by in his results, um, even though they had the same amount of wins, Turkington actually you'd find him on the podium that little bit more regularly. Interestingly, but it was at Croft where it all unfolded massively for um, for for Colin Turkington, an unforced error finding him in the gravel and out the out the race, and then of course not forgetting at Thruxton where he had a mechanical failure as well. So a couple of things that didn't go Colin's way. Um, but over the, over a season like you, we have in British Touring Cars, it's such frantic racing. You have three sprint races in a day, and you know it's it's very very easy for. I mean, if you go through a season without any form of mechanical failure, 
you're you're very very lucky indeed is normally there's going to be something that happens to every driver up and down uh, the grid speaking of well we saw um about, well let's talk about some more new cars because um scotsman rory butcher um who won the independence championship last year and also the Jack Sears Trophy for drivers who go into the season without having scored a podium, and he was um, came in and, and and scored a number, and scored three wins last season. This season in 2020, three more wins and also two pole positions. But Rory did this, moved away from the um, AMD Honda team, uh, and moved back home, if you like, to um, to Motorbase. Now, when when Rory. Uh, stopped um, or when Rory stepped away from full car, full time sports car racing in the European Le Mans series and um, GT World Challenge and British GT and things like that, he um, he started off his British Touring Car Championship career at Motorbase in 2017 at Knockhill actually at his home round that was his first British Touring Car Championship race racing in the uh, the shredded wheat uh, Ford Focus. Uh, and now has returned back to 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 Motorbase, a team he knows well, and um, it's been a it's been a really interesting season to to watch Rory's progress along with the new Ford Focus ST, which is tipped by many to be a very very strong car, and the car has come out of the box very very well. I remember last winter, pretty much in fact a year ago to the day actually. Where I went up to Knock Hill to 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 see some of the the local drivers testing, a couple of the mini challenge drivers testing that day as well, and Rory very kindly came along um, to have a chat to us on the podcast on his wedding anniversary of all things. He's such a nice guy that he is, um, and uh, if you want to listen to that, you have to you can go back in our archive on PeterMcKayMotorsport.com to uh <laughs> to 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 listen to that interview because Rory was very very kind with his time and with his stories as well. Um, but at that point, that was when the deal was all coming together. It was the cut the chassis and the um, the, uh, the body shells were going away to be acid dipped and ready for um, ready for the the season. And this new Ford Focus ST has has kind of been built around Rory. If you look at the way that the car is, the dimensions of the car, it's very much centered around around him uh, and it's a wonderful piece of kit having seen it up quite close it is a really really cool car uh, the new um, focus st run by by motorbase um and the season the season got off to a very very good start for for rory a couple of pole positions early on and really it was at brands hatch and the brands hatch grand prix round which i think was round two or three i can't remember <laughs> i should know that um at the beginning of the season anyway i think it was round two um, and Rory was on pole position and it was now of course normally the teams when they go to Brands Hatch it's either very early in the season so it's April and it's freezing cold or <laughs> it's in October uh, also freezing cold but to go there in the middle of the summer was something that was completely new for lots of the teams particularly for Motorbase of course dealing with a new car that was already very very box fresh and they're still trying to get their head around the setup for it. Well, when you throw a track temperature of 50 degrees centigrade in there when it's normally 10 um, at that particular circuit, it makes it very, very difficult. And Rory was super quick, but unfortunately not one, but two punctures from the lead of the race uh, over that race. That really 
put a sting in his championship uh, at that early point. And at that point, it was looking really, really strong um, for, for Rory. And that was that was a tricky one um, to get over. Nevertheless, it rolled, the championship rolled on and uh, it got to, got to Silverstone National Circuit where, well, anyone who's watched this year's British Touring Car Championship, I'm sure you'll be aware of uh, of Rory's unbelievably massive uh, accident that he had at Silverstone National uh, this this year where he uh, got in contact with um, Matt Neal. Now, I'm not getting into who is at fault or not. Well, let's just call it a 50-50 for sake of argument of what happened. Uh, I'll leave that to your own interpretation. But contact happened and Rory speared off the circuit and backwards into the barrier uh, and the car, I think we can't stress enough how impressive a job Motorbase did to build a car that was so, so bomb-proof. I mean, the impact was enormous. Um, the car flipped up over and over and over. The car basically was like a squashed tin can after, but the protective cell, it kept Rory safe. And actually... He had no problems with concussion, no problems with broken bones, nothing like that. He was able to basically dust himself off and uh, and and be after a couple of days of being a bit sore. He was he was absolutely fine. And quite honestly, an accident like that, um, you you don't normally get away with with an accident at that kind of speed. Um, so it was great to see uh, not only Rory walk away from that, but the car do such a strong job. Um, uh, as well and that that evening uh, about midnight that evening uh, Rory received a text message from his team with a photograph of the car already in the motor base workshop at Brands Hatch um, or just beside Brands Hatch um, with the car already up on the up on the on the rig and uh, being basically starting starting the rebuild process so he could be back at Croft uh, in two weeks' time, which of course uh, he did do, and what can you say? I mean, that's what you need as a uh, as a team, uh, as a driver, to have a team that are so behind you to 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 be able to um, to be able to do that. But it was, as I say, it was a difficult, it was a relatively difficult latter part of the season after a home victory at Knock Hill. Um, you know, it was it it was it was really quite um, really quite tricky for for Rory, but coming into Brands Hatch really needed a victory to go into the off-season with because without that victory it would have been a long old winter but in race three at Brands Hatch Rory drove a dominant race uh, in a in in the wet drove off into the distance and won by a considerable margin um, which was just fantastic to see and for Rory um, again gives him a huge boost of confidence and makes him go into the winter with a smile rather than a frown and that's a <laughs> that's a big big thing for any racing driver but interestingly we want to talk about front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive because of course the in the British Touring Car Championship you have a lot of things which are very very controlled in the rules you know the engine specs are controlled you can develop your own one but you or you can use the off-the-shelf uh, toka engine as it's called built by swindon but the rules are very very particular on what you can do the brakes are identical the wheels are identical the a lot of the suspension is identical the rear subframe is identical um there is an unbelievable you wouldn't believe how much of the car 
is actually the same. Um, you know, they buy the same part off the scale for, um, for you know, the gearbox is exactly the same. There's very little opportunity for a team to really start, um, you know, coming in with really crazy expensive development. So the idea is, is that you can be, there is lots of opportunity to be, um, to be competitive. But one of the, the, the really interesting storylines of this uh, 2020 season has been the debate on um, rear-wheel drive cars, the BMW and the Infiniti, uh, two cars running up the front of the field, don't forget, um, and the front-wheel drive cars like the Ford Focus, the uh, Toyota Corolla driven by Tom Ingram, and the Team Dynamics Hondas, uh, as well amongst many, many others. Um and that's it. that's the interesting thing is there's the off the starts in the dry, the um in the beginning of the season interestingly the rear wheel drive cars were just so dominant off the off the start, but later on in the season they they were actually pegged back. They were given uh, basically the their boost was controlled in the early stages of acceleration to try and even that out. Now there's been all kinds of um all kinds of of arguments on both sides whether there is an advantage for rear-wheel drive or not. But it's I think it's going to take more time uh, to see if that's the case because there are I don't know if there are enough rear-wheel drive cars in the championship to be able to make that consideration, you know, because the BMW is run by a top team with, with, with decent backing, um, West Surrey Racing. The Infinity, again, very well-backed. Um, and you could argue as a bit of a one-off special as well. You could argue as you know, as as is allowed within the rules. Um, but it's it's very hard. It's very hard to determine. I think it would take a driver who's driven in both um, to to make that um, to make that consideration. Tom Ingram has been one, as I say, who, who's driven very very well this year in the front wheel drive. Um, Toyota Corolla, a double win at Thruxton, very much a circuit where the front wheel drive cars were favoured uh, whereas others you would see where the rear wheel drive cars were favoured and I think as long as there's an even split across the championship that makes it very exciting because then it's, um, you know, you that actually really creates variety and it creates interest uh, in, the, in the championship but for Tom Ingram, three wins and a pole position a, a solid season for him once again you got to think that for Tom Ingram, he's just that little. He's just that two or three percent away uh, from getting that championship. And I'm sure when everything comes together, he will be able to compete for a British Touring Car Championship. I'm I'm absolutely convinced of that. Rory Butcher, exactly the same. Just everything. Just once everything clicks together, um, we you know you're you're going to see those guys fighting for for championships. Also, speaking of fighting for championships, Dan Camish. I think you've got to take your hat off to the job he's done. Of course, he was absolutely robbed in 2019, just a lap and a half away from winning the British Touring Car Championship. He had a brake failure, of all things. Um, an absolutely devastating thing to happen. A brake failure, a lap and a half from the end, and off he went into the barriers, and that was his British British Touring Car Championship over, and Colin Turkington came through to win. Um... Now that will have haunted them all win all winter, and I'm sure it, it it probably still does. Um, and you know he won the season opener at Donington Park. He had four wins across the season, just one less than the eventual champion Ash Sutton. 
But interestingly, the, this current iteration of the Honda Civic Type R, the um, shall we say, the kind of more saloon sedan like version, the four door version, um, is not. It, it's been a really fickle piece of kit. It's been very hard to dial in. It's been some rounds where it's been really good, and some rounds where it's been absolutely nowhere, and not really any rhyme or reason why. It's it's not certainly been as successful as the previous iteration of Honda Civic Type R, which was a special piece of kit as as well. But and Dan Camish has kind of been fighting against that, and you feel again if the um you know once the the, the correct car is underneath him, Dan Camish, I would put him right up there with your Turkingtons and your Ash Suttons, make no doubt, no mistake uh, about that. You know, he did so, so well in Formula Ford. Uh, imagine going through a Formula Ford season with a 100% win record. That's the type of quality you're looking at uh, in Dan Camish. You know, a Porsche Carrera Cup champion raced in the Super Cup, finished in the top five in the Mobile One Super Cup with Porsche. So he, he is a serious racing driver, make no mistake uh, about that and of course racing for Team Dynamics, racing alongside Matt Neal whose family own the team it's not certain that Matt Neal will return next year um, will the team return? I'm sure it will uh, and with the team perhaps more centred around Dan perhaps that could um, that could really um, that could really be very exciting uh, as well so that's the kind of the, the general summary of the, the runners and riders Ash Sutton, uh, the 2020 champion Colin Turkington, Rory Butcher, Tom Ingram and Dan Camish. Of course, there were many others uh, in the championship as well. Of course, let's look forward to 2021. Now, it's too early to to say or to talk about um, the, uh, the, the driver's market, really, in British touring cars, because that will... That will come together quite late. It's, it's good. For those that watch MotoGP, when riders are getting signed up in the first couple of rounds of a season for the next season, unfortunately, British touring cars is... Well, British touring cars is not like that at all. You know, a lot of the drivers have got to go out and find their funding. They've got to find finance from sponsors or wherever they find it to... Um, to basically pay for their racing and to pay for the costs of running the car for the next season and that can often take that can often come together quite late in the day so often where you, you hear a lot of um, announcements is at the Autosport International show in January now uh, I, it's unclear whether that will happen physically probably not at this stage it will probably happen online I would suspect like many things are now um, and that's where we're really going to see who is driving where uh, we might get a few announcements before Christmas, possibly, but it's likely that the most of the um, driver market um, chat will come together uh, at the beginning of next year for the 2021 season. And perhaps I think this in this particular time where drivers are going to find it much more difficult to acquire their sponsorship like than they have. It's already difficult enough as it is, but as you can imagine the amount of businesses that are under significant pressure um the uh that makes asking for sponsorship to go motor racing incredibly tricky so but let's have some positive news some things we do know we do know that uh, team hard will be at last retiring their very long in the tooth uh, volkswagen passat ccs um and they will be introducing another new brand and this we're going to come on to this another new brand 
to the British Touring Car Championship, which is Cupra. Now, if you've never heard of Cupra, you might have heard of a Seat Leon Cupra or a Seat Ibiza Cupra. So it's basically uh, the the Seat's equivalent of a GTI or um, uh, an RS or a BMW M or, or what have you, the kind of performance version of Seat's cars. But actually, Cupra is now... A completely separate brand so Cupra is a is, is the car is not badged as I say it's badged as a Cupra so it's the Leon Cupra that will be making its way into the championship now we have had Leon Cupras uh, under the Seat badge many moons ago who could forget uh, Jason Plato in those cars and of course uh, the, the diesel version of that car uh, as well so it's going to be really cool to see the, uh, the Cupra coming in to the uh, the championship however and this is a big however in the british tuning car championship we have a huge number of of brands uh taking part we or or models of car taking part we have we have honda civic type r we have the now the hyundai i30n sportback or fastback i think it's called we have the BMW 3 Series, we have the Infiniti Q50, even though that car doesn't exist in Europe anymore. Um, we have the Ford Focus ST. Um, the Mercedes A-Class is getting retired, it won't, be, it won't be back next year. We've got the BMW 1 Series still, we've still got a few of them running. Um, what else do we have? We've got some more, I'm sure. I'm forgetting, of course, Toyota Corolla uh, uh, as well, and many others. But when you look down the entry list uh, of the British Touring Car Championship, very, very few of the cars taking part on what is, without a doubt, a packed grid. There are 30 cars, very, very busy grid of, of cars. But if you look at it, there are very few entries which are officially entered by a manufacturer. And, you know, a full works effort, these are not. This is a long way away from the days of super touring in the late 90s where Ford, Peugeot, Vauxhall, Honda, etc. were spending millions. Now, those days are never coming back and nor should they, to be honest. But um, the manufacturer entries are few and far between. Honda is down as a... The Team Dynamics is down as a, a manufacturer entry. Toyota with Speedworks is, is the same. Uh, and, of course, BMW um, with West Surrey Racing. Um, the rest are all down as independent efforts. So, in theory, the teams could more or less go and have... They, they wouldn't even necessarily have to have a car that was badged at all, in theory, but they do. They, they usually do. Uh, with And now, some teams might do it with a tiny bit of support in the background, whether that be, you know, supplying. I know that there's one manufacturer that supply just supply the shells um, to to a particular race team as their support, um, which I'm sure doesn't cost them very much at all. Um, but this is what I want to come on to, is because the for me, the British Touring Car Championship business model needs a little bit of a revival, I think. In what direction? Well, that's up for, for debate. But if you look at it, the British Touring Car Championship have just signed... A, another extension to the ITV live coverage deal, which is fantastic news for the championship. That can be nothing else other than absolutely positive to have motor racing on free-to-air television, on terrestrial television, is 
massive news and it's so rare now for motor racing or sport in general to be available on free-to-air television. There's, there's always some form of streaming service that you need or Sky or BT Sport, whatever it might be. And you have to then be a die-hard fan who's going to be watching anyway. Whereas with the terrestrial TV or the free-to-air TV, you can catch a lot more passing interest of people who just watch it to see, oh, what have we got going on here? Let's check this out kind of thing. It's not costing me anything to, to watch this race or to watch this event. Now, of course, uh, an ITV deal, there will be the series organisers, Toka, headed up by Alan Gow, they will be the TV rights that they will sell to ITV will be there will be a pretty decent ticket uh, on on those um, they will they will uh, they will gain revenue from that particular deal how much who knows also when British touring cars bring the show to town uh, a racing circuit have to pay quite a considerable amount of money to have the British touring car circuits come to town then the circuit will sell tickets. To, um, to a paying fan who will come in to watch. Now, the interesting thing is, is that one thing that might surprise you if you're relatively new or um, have a relatively passing interest in the British Touring Car Championship is very, very few, if any, British Touring Car drivers are paid a salary to race in the championship. You just let that sink in because the drivers are... They're all taking part in cars which are sold to the general public in pretty decent volumes. It's not Ferraris and Porsches we're talking about. We're talking about Ford Focuses, BMW 3 Series, um, you know, Honda Civics. These are cars that are sold in big volume, um, and you know they and the, and therefore they're quite a big deal to the, the the manufacturers. And to have a car going and winning, if you're an owner of a Ford Focus or if you're considering buying a Ford Focus or one of its rivals and you see a, you know, a driver local to you or a driver who you're a fan of winning with that car, that's going to influence your, your decision. But to me, it's bizarre when you see some of the, the, some of the people we've mentioned in the, um, you know, some of the people we've mentioned to, in this episode is that you, a lot of the drivers, if not all of them, are having to come up with some kind of sponsorship, having to bring money to a team to be able to to race. Certain drivers who are in who are winning races, who are up there, are having to bring multiple hundreds of thousands of pounds for the privilege of racing in British touring cars. Now, to me, that is now I I fully accept that motor racing is very expensive. We all know that, but to and you are always going to get an element of the grid who are happy and have the means to pay to go to come onto the grid. And motor racing will always have that element. And quite honestly, I think it's fantastic that if you have the money, you can come along and take part. I think that's fantastic. I think that's a brilliantly aspirational thing. And if, if you've got half a million pounds or if you've got a million pounds to go racing, you, you, no one's going to turn you away. That's what I like about it. However, there are guys who are dedicating their life to the sport, their full time in the sport, they are um, ambassadors for the sport. They're ambassadors for the brand of car. It's a consumer product. Um, and they are having to go to private businesses to go and find money to go and race in, in, in the championship. Now, 
If you're going to race in something like British Formula 4, for example, where there is no consumer product you're promoting uh, and it's effectively a blank car, it's a single-seater, it's a very, it's a much more sophisticated racing car, or should be, um, then if you need, to, you know, that, that then there is no... Um, there is no commercial um, case to pay a driver to come and race in a single seater, but there is in uh, touring cars now, and that is why I think the business model needs looked at. But that come, you know, you can't just get the organisers to say well, to the teams, well, actually, no, you need to stop taking money from drivers because then you you, you have no fuel at all. Um, so it's a really delicate one, and I think a lot of it comes down to the cost of the British Touring Car. The British Touring Car, they introduced a new next generation touring car um, regulation a number of years ago. And the idea was is that a lot of the parts were um, uh, controlled, so everyone has to buy the same part. Now, in theory, that stops teams from going mad and developing their own parts and spending a lot of money, and it becomes an arms race. Yes, that is one particular way to look at it. The other way to look at it is is that if you can only buy one type of brake disc, who do you think determines the price? The people who have been given the contract to supply the brake discs. And I would think that's a pretty cushy contract to have, to be whether it be brake discs, suspension, gearboxes, whatever it is. If you're the only company that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it doesn't take a genius to, to work it out. You know, if you're the only company that teams can go to, the price can be set, uh, uh, you know, as is. You know, I'm sure there will be a tender process, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the cheapest always gets it because they might not be capable of producing the part that's necessary. And when you hear about some of the sums of money that it costs to run a British touring car over a season, it's excessive. It really is excessive. If you can run a 500 horsepower Porsche Carrera Cup car for similar money, then there's something completely wrong because obviously the parts and running costs of a Porsche are going to be higher than what a saloon car should be. So I think there there is a number of, of there is a big, big issue there where we are very, we are not right now, obviously the championship as we are at this right snapshot moment is in really good health. We've got a bumper grid, we've got good drivers, you've got, you know, Ash Sutton, Colin Turkington, Rory Butcher, Tom Ingram, Dan Camish, and so on and so on. There's lots of good drivers, that's not an issue. But Look five years down the line, look ten years down the line. Could these guys have to look elsewhere? Can they be offered opportunities in other parts of motor racing? You know, because they you know, they can either have to go out and find two hundred thousand pounds to race in British touring cars, or they can maybe be paid a small retainer or a salary um to go and drive in sports cars or to go and drive in, you know, ETCR or whatever it might be. The other the other issue is is that with a British touring car the only place that you can race that car is in the British Touring Car Championship. That's it. So when you're finished with the car, to be honest, you may as well just roll it into the museum. You might be able to sell it to a smaller privateer team, but eventually the car will, you know, it will stop. It will become out of date um, and you'll, you'll have to effectively just park it up. Whereas if you look at the TCR formula, which is a much more global platform, it's the same platform used in the World Touring Car Championship, or WTCR as it's called, you it's the same platform used in Macau, uh, it's used in the Michelin Pilot Challenge in America, it's used in American TCR, 
It's used in all kinds of different championships, both in a sprint format and endurance format as well. You could go and race it all over the world. And therefore, the second-hand market for TCR machines is very, very strong. So if you've bought a TCR car new, raced it for a couple of years and then sold it, there is still um, money that you can get back. Whereas in British touring cars, you build it and you're seeing very, very little of that money back. The same thing applies if you look at it in GT3 racing. A GT3 is a formula. There are so many opportunities to race a GT3 sports car all over the world that the second-hand values of those cars are very, very strong indeed. So, it's it, it's for me, it's a fascinating one, and I think it's something that, as we head towards, not in 2021, but in 2022, we head towards hybrid regulations in British touring cars. So, the, the use of a hybrid system which will be able to be retrofitted to the current car uh, from what I understand uh, is is going to be mandatory to use that hybrid system. Now hybrid systems are not cheap at all. Now they are absolutely essential to um, the marketing aspirations of car manufacturers because that's the model of car they're selling right here and now. You know, Every manufacturer has some form of hybrid car in their lineup if not a fully electric car. But the problem is by in implementing a hybrid system to a car which is probably already too expensive is the issue. That's the issue to me. And I think a lot of considerations and a lot of hard thinking is required to bring the cost of a British touring car down, perhaps bring it a little bit more in line with other categories around the world and not have uh, a standalone car. Um, I think that is something that really needs to be considered. Now, whether the teams don't want to do it, whether they're quite happy, but I think you've got to ask more than just the teams. You've got to ask the drivers as well what they do because they're, you know, British Touring Cars is not the only place that they can go and race. Uh, and I think that is something that they need to they need to be very, very careful about. Anyway, I shall dismount the high, high horse now. But it's something that's, uh, that's very I'm very particularly passionate about because the product that we have right now the, the entertainment product that we have in British Touring Cars is fantastic. Top drivers racing door-to-door -door really close. It's brilliant. But just because it's brilliant right now doesn't mean that it will be in five years' time. We've seen that in the past. and I think. But the one thing you can guarantee is TOCA, the, the organisers of the British Touring Car Championship, is that they will certainly be, uh, they will be a lot more on it than, than we perhaps maybe give them credit for. So we'll wait, wait and see and can't wait for the 2021 season. Thanks so much for listening to this episode all about the British Touring Car Championship season 2020. We will be back for the season in 2021 and hopefully get a chance to have a chat to a few of the drivers in the off-season before they go back racing again. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast.